0: Shabbat Shalom, and welcome this evening to uh, Beth Messiah Congregation and our annual uh, uh, Torah conference. So each year, uh, at this time of year, we have a uh, a Bible conference. Uh, It's an opportunity for uh, our people to hear from someone uh, from our Messianic Jewish movement or speaking into our Messianic Jewish movement who basically uh, can teach the scriptures from uh, a messianic perspective, as we would say, a messianic understanding, and encourage and challenge us uh, from the Word of God. Uh, And so this year we are honored to have with us Dr. Joel Willits, the professor of biblical and theological studies at North Park University. Uh, He is the co-editor of a book that many of us are very familiar with called Introduction to Messianic uh, Judaism. Uh, he uh, received his PhD from Cambridge uh, University and uh, really has been a great friend uh, to the Messianic uh, Jewish uh, movement. Uh, and so uh, this evening uh, we begin uh, with. Uh, uh, the witness, the immerser, and the beloved disciple. Uh, this will be a series of messages from the Gospel of John, uh, uh, hearing it uh, perhaps uh, with a new voice or from a little bit of a different perspective and, uh, and something that uh, I know that we're going to get a lot out of.
1: Well, uh, I have been here two other times, and, uh, and perhaps some of you have been here. Uh, when i 've been um, and I want to just begin by just making a distinction between what i 've done in the past and what I hope to do here um, and that is really uh, i 'll give you a word i 'll give you a word um, because I think uh, this word uh, really is at the essence of john 's gospel um, and i 've had the privilege of you know reading john 's gospel since I was a little boy uh, grew up in a Baptist church um, and you know um, uh, my first verse I ever learned was John 3:16 in the King James Bible, and uh, I uh, I was in a Baptist church, so you you profess faith in the Baptist church. You got to make sure you get those kids to to get uh, profess the faith. And so, um, you know, I was kind of a church rat. So I I grew, you know, basically uh, I knew every corner of this like uh, late. Um, uh, 19th century church. I mean, every nook and cranny, and crevice, um, and, uh, and so I came to faith uh, real early, and uh, and I this was my favorite Bible verse, John three sixteen, and I I, I was of course um, immersed um, as as good Baptists do, uh, but I was so small that uh, that my pastor had to hike me up on his knee so I could see over the uh, over the baptistry. And I just belted out as loud as I could, John 3.16. So, uh, it, it, you know, translate that 40 years later, and I, uh, I get hired at, at North Park, where, where I teach now. And, and I've always been sort of a devotional uh, reader of John, but uh, my sort of graduate work was in, uh, in Paul and Matthew. Um, and, and John's just a whole other, um, you know, ball of wax. So uh, my first year or two... I was trying to just get my feet down in what exactly this gospel was and what it was trying to say to us that was uh, not only different from one or two of the gospels, but uh, wholly different from what is called by scholars the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, and uh, perhaps you might know enough uh, that you are aware that you know Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of overlap, similarities, that um, you know, if you're ever trying to read through the Bible uh, like, like many of us have tried, you know, you read Matthew, you're like, that's awesome. And then you read Mark and you're like, wait a minute, I heard this before. And then you get to Luke and you're like, I mean, the same story three times, you know. And, uh, and then you get to John and you're like, well, this is different. Um, I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but when I was a teenager and I was like, come and read the Bible through, that was how, how I felt. Um, but of course, we know that uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are actually quite distinct. Um, it's just not as obvious. But when you come to John, um, you know you you realize you know right from the beginning that uh, while you might know not know the percentages, you know you're in a whole different story. Almost, I mean, central characters the same. A lot of the the same uh, sort of uh, uh, you know uh, kind of side actors or or co actors are the same. But um, but in fact, it's a totally different story with different characters, different. Um, perspectives on perhaps even similar events, uh, uh, but the Gospel of, of John uh, and uh, and the and the Synoptic Gospels share only ten percent of the same material. So turn that around; that means ninety percent of the content of the Gospel of John has no parallel in the other four Gospels, um, and so. Uh, you know, you can kind of almost call the Gospels, uh, there are four Gospels, but they're kind of three in one. They're kind of three Gospels and one. Um, now, all of that is not really anything <laughs> uh, related to, to what I want to do, but I, I want to sort of begin by um, saying that, uh, you know, there's a way of approaching John that would be sort of sufficient, would be appropriate to the the VSS, but that's not my interest. I mean, we could get in all kinds of interesting conversations about um about uh its its composition history it's more uh, kind of it's complex theological uh, uh vision um you know there's all kinds of let alone dating and all that business um but and if you want to have conversations about that let's do it you know over refreshments or or lunch or whatever uh i'm uh, while I, I'm not the, uh, you know, the John Bible Answer Man, um, I can say that you know I, I've earned my stripes uh, in that regard. But g- going back to that word, um, the word is presence. The word is presence. Uh, my desire uh, these days together is that uh, we are not distracted by slides or something that would, in a way. Um, um, Break down the presence of of, of my uh, privilege to be here and your and your uh, presence here. Um, and so, uh, you know, I don't, I, I may, I'm not, I don't even know, but I may have a, a slide on occasion. But uh, I want this to be sort of our our interest, uh, our focus, our purpose is to is to be present with each other. I mean, it's like me on you know 50, but to be present with each other and also to invite um, uh, Yeshua to be present in a new way. I mean, Yeshua is always present. His spirit is always, always around, and John makes that clear to those who are followers of Yeshua. But um, I guess really it's to recognize his presence and recognize it in a way that uh, isn't uh, the stale or conventional way. And stale is a little bit of a... Of a critical or pejorative way to say it, but you know it's not the like the 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 rut that perhaps we've been um, that has just become our our our, uh, our discipleship. You know, um, I would hope for me and for you that, uh, that 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 Yeshua is revealed to us by God of Israel in new ways, um, in 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 like literally life-altering ways. Uh, in the in the sense that as we as we think about John's vision of Jesus, and we're just going to have these little pictures because we can't begin to kind of uh, draw the wealth of this uh, just amazingly written gospel um, in all its, uh, you know, ring out of it all its, all its worth. Um, and I don't even think if we could really do that. Somebody said, you know, John's like the elephant. You know, it depends on what's, what uh, you know, side of it you're touching. Um, you know, what, you'll describe it differently or you know it's john's the one gospel that um, that relates to a child and baffles scholars uh you know it's it it, it, it is that kind of book um it, it, it is written by someone who uh had a had a uh, an IQ that that was uh, that was uh Perhaps we could talk about an IQ as emotional IQ or intellectual IQ, but but the the literary IQ of this author, the the way in which um, the author of of the Gospel of John was able to very subtly weave the story of Jesus that has such depth that every time you read it uh, thoughtfully, prayerfully, um, carefully, it, it, it invites even more, uh, more gems below. You, you can never excavate, you never find the bedrock, to use, a, to use an archaeological term. You can't find the bedrock of the, um, of the uh, beauty of John. Now, I'm a Matthew guy. I love the Gospel of Matthew. I'm not trying to take anything away from, from, from Matthew, but the artistic nature of John, maybe that's the word. It is art. Um, it is a piece of art. It is not a historical report. Um, it, it obviously reflects, history. its desire is to tell about Jesus. We're going to look at, at, uh, at how uh, John presents Yeshua um, and, and how he sort of establishes the, the historical reliability of Yeshua. Uh, John is not disinterested in history, um, but his interest is not history alone. In fact, history is, is the mere the mere uh, uh ground upon which he he wants to build a a uh, a beautiful edifice um we want to think of john as a as a as a piece of art perhaps as lyric um and and rhythm um and and you know art and i'm forty seven i've only discovered you know that i have a i actually have an artistic sort of sense uh like like last five years, uh, because I've <laughs> I thought I wanted to be like some you know like histor- his, historis- uh, historian that doesn't feel anything, and uh, did that for a number of years, and, and I realized that uh, that really essence of uh, the Christian life is is uh, experiencing Yeshua um, in a in a way that uh, that surprises, um, and and in art. In, in the book of John, as we just keep ro- kind of approaching it, John is an invitation to experience Yeshua uh, that will bring surprise. Um, and, uh, and I find surprise is where, uh, if I think about my life, the, 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 the points at which I have most found God's formative touch is not when I was looking for it. Not when I was sort of, God, I want it! It, do- it didn't come frontally. It kind of came... At my flank, when I wasn't looking for it, and it just kind of surprised me. And then I was somehow uh, altered. Um, and just as, and I don't know how it goes for you, but but for me, it's if I'm expecting it, uh, I never find it. Um, but if if I'm open-hearted and I engage a piece, pieces of artwork uh, uh, that that are uh, in a sense pictures of Yeshua. Um, that are not only pictures of Yeshua, but are part of our, of our uh, apostolic witness. Um, these these have tremendous, um, tremendous power to to uh, surprise and then to change. Um, so uh, just kind of approaching then, John, I want to just sort of put then some of these pieces together. That that, that this is not a teachy, it's not a teach, teachy in the sense of uh, you're not going to hear me, you know. Uh, quote this or that person, or you know, I, I, I want to keep it in the in the in the place that John puts Yeshua, and that's and that's um, and that's his presence uh, that that draws. Um, and then I, I want us to sort of approach John not as a as a as a text that maybe is similar like an IKEA man, you know how you put an IKEA table together, you know or something like that, but but rather it's uh maybe more to it. Uh, it's like a U2 song. Um, Right, Henry, a U2 song. Um, Henry, not giving me the energy that I expected on that one. <laughs> um, it's it's one that invites us to depths of of imagination um, uh, that uh, that will change us. And I, you know, I I may not be the best in the end um, guide to, to the art of this, uh, to the to the to the beauty of it, um, because myself, I'm a, I'm a I'm a I'm a novice. Uh, Journeyer on this on this uh, on this mountain of John, but um, but I hope that perhaps I will I will say some things that will invite you to uh, to the place of presence. Um, so uh, with with that sort of foundation laid, um, I would like to talk this evening about um, the the theme of witness um, testimony as a as a major frame for the for the understanding of, of yeshua in in john the the very structure of uh the gospel and and um and what I want to begin by sort of uh noting is I was, you know, coming on the plane this morning and I and I'm I'm one of those people that reads like a proverb a day, you know, so what's what day is it? It's it's the ninth. So I read uh Proverbs nine today. And I try to read it in in different versions because, you know, if you read it in the same one, you kind of just it doesn't sort of uh capture you. So I'm I'm actually reading uh the Proverbs from uh Eugene Peterson's uh translation, um the message and uh you know, he's. I think he uh, is in hospice. Actually, care of of, of recent. Um, is he? Just, did he? Did he pass away? Wait, okay. So that was. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, I did not hear that part. But that was very recent. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, last month. Okay. Um, well, I had it close, but uh, yeah. Well, you know, he has a. He has a capacity to kind of put these thoughts together in a way that just you know are are is a different. Uh, uh, set of images and, and, and so I was reading this and I thought uh, wow this is perfect for um, Beth Messiah uh, congregation and, and what I love about coming here is, is captured in, these, in this proverb um, the proverb says save your breath for the wise they'll be wiser for it um, tell good people what you know they'll profit from it um, I do not want to presume <laughs> that what I know will necessarily be of value to you, but I can, I can uh, say with, with integrity and gen- genuineness that I know you're good people. So if there's anything helpful in what I'm going to say, uh, you're going to get it <laughs> uh, because of the character of, of, of this, uh, this, this place and of, of you. So, um, okay i have I have sort of given this title uh, you know bearing witness with uh, with the immerser John the Baptist and the beloved Disciple and uh, where you're going to kind of unpack that by looking pretty carefully at at uh, at some passages in the Gospel of John to sort of um, uh, help us to frame it up in fact tonight i'll I'll really be uh, in a way, intentionally, but but not necessarily focusing on on the structure of John. Um, the structure of John will become evident just by by uh, paying attention to these to these two characters. Uh, these you might say pillars of the Gospel of John: the Baptist and the Beloved Disciple. Those um, those figures will perhaps be um, uh, familiar to you, uh, of course. Most of us who have any um, uh, knowledge of the, of the Gospels know, of course, uh, John the Baptist, John the uh, Immerser. Um, but, but this concept of this person called the beloved disciple perhaps is, is, is a person we're, we're less familiar with. But um, we'll see that for John's uh, story, for what he wants to say about Yeshua, uh, we're only going to kind of grasp it by, by getting a sense of who. Th- these roles, these people, and and the way they relate to one another. So um, I want to begin really this this specific then conversation about testimony around these figures with uh, a a uh, an observation ab- about witness and testimony more broadly in John. I think we need to we need to grasp that uh, the sort of the the significance for John of this Of this concept of witness and testimony. Um, The role of witness and testimony in John is really seen uh, at the beginning and at the end and in the middle. And so, if you would, I hope everyone has uh, the scriptures with them. Um, I would really uh, appreciate that because I think we're going to be in them a lot. It might be, uh, you know, you might want to not just take my word for it. Um, So, um, if if you can bring a Bible along, it'll just make our, our uh, time uh, even have some greater depth to it. Now I'm I'm reading through the uh, or I'm using the NIV, so perhaps your uh, your uh, version will be slightly different, but we'll be sort of in the same ballpark. So the Gospel of John begins um, what somebody has called it, it sort of as an eagle um, uh, versus, say. Uh, Mark, that's kind of lion in Mark's character uh, of his of the style of his writing, as well as the the figure of Jesus that sort of Mark's gospel tells, is kind of a roaring, very uh, very uh, actually fear-producing uh, beast. Um, just you know, think about how the end of Mark goes. It's like the women uh, meet Jesus and they go like ah, and then they flee away. You know, that's it's like the, it ends on this on this. Um, Expression of the of the confusing power, but attractive, nevertheless, uh, figure of Jesus. When we come to to John, in contrast, John's gospel begins with this uh, this uh, eternal perspective. Eternal perspective. Uh, Matthew and Luke talk about Jesus's sort of earthly birth. They root him um, in uh, in uh, ancient Judea. John puts. Yeshua in the in the in the heavens. Okay, so let's just read the beginning of this, and then we'll we'll go right into uh, this point of witness. But I think it would be um, we'd be remiss if we didn't sort of get a sense of the of the beginning of this because it's it's so poetic, um, and and uh, and uh, it's 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 not poetic in the sense of how you might say English poetry goes. But this is a very Hebraic. uh, Technique of poetry. If you read the poetry in the the wisdom, uh, you know, in the the Ketuvim, the the wisdom literature um, of the of uh, the Tanakh, um, there is there is a certain kind of, of poetic verse, um, as well as the prophets. Uh, the prophets almost exclusively are, are written in poetry. So it might not seem like poetry to to you initially or at first, but um, under underneath. Uh, it's, it's a very poetic, um, poetic piece. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some versions say comprehended it. We'll come back to that just uh, at, at, at a very s- later point, but very soon. Now, after this sort of poetic introduction, you might call it um, you know, a, a prologue or an introduction, you have then uh, immediately an introduction to, um, to, this, to this individual named John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him all might believe uh, the the story of uh, the, the, the Yeshua of Israel begins with a with a claim that this forerunner, as it's as he's called in other, in other gospels, is a witness bearer. He has been sent by, uh, by the God of Israel before the the Messiah in order to Testify about his appearance and his his purpose or his significance. Um, in fact, uh, if you just go a little bit deeper into chapter one, there's this very profound um, uh, comment uh, that that uh, that gives this witness a a um, a target, um, uh, a direction, um, and Uh, we if we pick up uh, at about 35 the next day John was there again with two disciples and when he saw Jesus passing by he said look the Lamb of God And when the two disciples turned to him uh, turned sorry heard him say this they followed Jesus Uh, turning around Jesus saw them following and he asked what do you want or what do you seek what are you after and uh and Jesus turns around to them and, and says, Come, and you will see. Um, I think this small piece invites us to see what John considers as the, as the, uh, as the essential nature of discipleship. Um, this point here in these verses will be then enacted time and time and time again through the Gospels. And what we need to realize is that uh, no, uh, no one gospel sees discipleship exactly the same. I mean, we could compare, if we had time, Matthew's view of discipleship, Mark's view of discipleship in terms of its nature, characteristics. But John's characteristically under, uh, characteristic understanding of discipleship is, is so beautiful. Um, so John bears witness that Yeshua is the, this this. This individual is the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says that twice. Um, we won't spend time in, in that. It's uh, a very interesting interpretive uh, question. What does John mean by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? But let's just put that aside for a second. And, and so the disciples turn to Yeshua. Yeshua turns around and sees them and he asks, uh, what do you want? What, do you, what are you looking for? I mean, what you, what you seek is, uh, is a little weak, I think. He's, he's, he's really getting at, like, what is, what is your agenda? What, what, if you boil it all down, why are you here? Uh, why are you following me right now? Um, you know, I love that question because, in a way, Jesus is, gets at the, the bottom. Right at the beginning, the way John tells us, he, Jesus gets right at the bottom at the base and core of identity. What are you looking for? What is it that you want? I mean, why are you here tonight? Um, why do you pursue the, the things that you feel are most important? Where, where do those, um, those pursuits, what do they say about what you want? Um, there's a lot of reasons why the disciples these two may have wanted to look and follow after Jesus. Um, We're going to see a theme, I think, a bit. We're going to see that lots of people wanted to follow Jesus because he made food. (laughs) He fed people. Um, He did miraculous things. Um, John calls them signs, which is another way of framing uh, what would be called in the other gospels, miracles. John, in fact, John never uses the term miracles of the same sorts of things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke describe. He uses the word sign, um, and you know, people get all twisted around about how many signs there are, and you know, there's, there's, you know, these. These strategies for understanding the organization of the book of John based on, you know, there are seven signs. Unfortunately, if you look at the number of commentaries, they, they don't never agree about which signs are, you know, the signs that divide, you know, the first half of John. So, you know, there might be eight or nine possible signs. And, uh, and you begin to think, well, why, why do we think that's such a good uh, structural observation? Uh, there's reasons to it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna uh, delve into that too far. But it's to say, just to notice that that a sign for us doesn't necessarily uh, uh, provide for us uh, anything more than just a pointer. So a sign that says, you know, you're coming into Columbus doesn't say anything about what is important about Columbus. It just says Columbus is over there. Um, And and what we see, kind of the way John thinks about uh, the miraculous works of Jesus, is is this sense of why are people enamored by them? Uh, Are they enamored by them because of what they sort of give immediately? Or does the sign then lead them to the more significant thing that the sign represents? So you've got the sign and then the thing to which it points. And so, again the disciples could be there for any different reason. And as you are tonight, I don't know you. Uh, and even the, even the ones we know well, you know, if we're spouses or, or friends, I mean, we can't see inside of each other, even the people we're closest to. And so that this question is such a fundamental one. John points and witnesses, this is, the, this is the Messiah. This is the one who is going to take away the sins of the world. He is the Lamb of God. These disciples turn and follow, and Jesus is like, "What do you want? What do you really want?" Now, they're like, "Well, where are you staying?" It's like maybe they didn't expect that question, and so they're like, "Uh, "Where are you staying? Where are you hanging out?" Um, And uh, and Jesus doesn't um, doesn't give them like a set of directions. He doesn't say, "You know, well, I'm over over you know." uh, well, there's no road signs, but if, if you if you go down here and you pass the the second palm tree, and then you, you know, it's not an academic or 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 um, pragmatic conversation. I mean, what does Jesus say to the question, "Where do you abide? Where do you where do you where do you express your presence?" And You know what he says? He says, "Come and see. Come and see." Uh, It's so simple um, and yet so uh, revolutionary. Particularly to us in a culture that says uh, unless it can be um, uh, unless it can be uh, um, uh, reproduced, the sort of the methodological naturalism that we all live in. Unless you can't know what you can't show. That's what I was told in my PhD work. I can't make an argument. That would be convincing unless I have the evidence strong enough to make the argument probable. Um, that's not Jesus' way here. And, and Matthew actually works with it. You can't know what you can't show because he's constantly giving us reasons to believe that Yeshua of Nazareth is the son of David. I mean, you know, he's just blatantly saying, and this has as fulfilled what the prophet says, even when he sort of mixes them up a little bit. Um, um, but but John is like he's not making a he's not making a claim to the to the to the cognition to the to the logic of our minds. He's inviting us to presence. His view of discipleship is you don't know where this is going to lead you, uh, you don't know where the end is, but come, come and see the witness that we are introduced to through this figure of John the Baptist is one to uh, testify to the identity of this this person, Jesus of Nazareth, with the intention not to make some argument for his identity as Messiah, but so that people will turn, look, and Jesus will say, why are you here? And then whatever they respond, whether it's like, "Uh, uh, where do you you live? Where are you hanging out? However they respond, he'll, he'll say, come and see. Come and be with me. You'll never know where I am, where I abide until you come and see. Discipleship for John is then is not a training methodology to to create certain uh, uh, doctrinal uh, uh, grounding in in um, in uh, details of of uh, prophecy or, or, um, or systematic theology or making sure your, your I's are dotted, your T's are crossed with respect to your biblical theology. It's, it's not, he's not interested in that. There might be a place for that. He doesn't necessarily dismiss it. I'm not saying that. But for him, the essence of discipleship is being with his presence. Um, it's, it's, it's the risk. It's the, the call of faith that you don't know where this is going to go, but you are, you are uh, willing. Uh, you are perhaps desperate enough. You are desirous enough. You want it enough that you'll you'll just jump in and go. It reminds me of of oh, man amazing experience I had uh, a number of years ago. Um, I had the privilege. I was I was a part part time college pastor at a church um, around where I live and. Uh, our college ministry adopted uh, a a country. the The, the congregation had various uh, missions partners, and their philosophy wasn't to sort of spread missions thinly, but to kind of have uh, a fewer number of of partners and really be involved. It's local church based. so you're not just sending you know uh, 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 short term mission teams there to kind of you know give give kids or or college students or adults, hey, you know, I'm doing missions, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm you know, in and out. Um, there was an investment, there was a footprint, and there was a constant kind of going back and back and back, maybe different people, but the, but this this church, I think, had a really uh, uh, non-colonializing, if that makes any sense, uh, mis- missional, uh, I don't think you use missions anymore, it's like intercultural uh, work, but... But I had the privilege of going to the Czech Republic for five straight years with uh, with college students, and the thing we would do the the program was to teach English, and and then we would uh, have evening programs and sort of uh, ancillary things where they would be involved in that would that would uh, just be an opportunity to reveal uh, the love of of Yeshua relationally, and. Making a long story short, there was, a, there was a, a, a young man who was in a PhD, his name was uh, Peter, and, and I, I met with him for, every, every year I went, for like the four, four consecutive years, and we would ha- he, would <laughs> he would prepare all year a list of questions. He would bring a, a notebook, um, and I, I don't know what it was about me, I think it was just simply in the Czech culture if you have letters after your name you somehow have some greater authority or something like uh w- whatever it was and perhaps you know I I'm I'm as good a conversationalist as anyone you know maybe uh uh, you know, that, that might be a gift of mine, but we would, we would have these conversations and, and I wasn't giving him like the simple answer. You know, he'd have a question and, a, and I wouldn't say, well, you know, well, that's easy to answer. In fact, most of his questions were the kind of questions that were honest, seeking questions, but in the end, there was, it was always coming down to, you know, this won't convince you. I mean, I can give you a framework that could make sense to you, but at the end of the day, you know, it's not going to convince a skeptic. It just won't, uh, you know. The how you explain uh, Genesis one and two, for example, how you understand the uh, the uh, the wars and the and the and the and the uh, the call of of Israel to enter Canaan and 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 uh, and acquire the land, and then you have these terrible stories and judges. I mean, the the uh, the question of justice is is you know we can't admit it's not it's easy to answer okay um we would be we would be very very uh, disingenuous and i think you know in a sense i, I what i was able to do is sort of dis, you know kind of take the the uh, you know like uh, uh disarm him a bit because i'm i'm like yeah those are really tough questions but he'd have you know it seems like every year he'd have a bit longer of a set of questions and and so getting to the point uh i knew it was kind of my last year i had I had left, you know, I was sort of leaving that part-time position. It, it, it just was, uh, you know, with the, ac- the academic demands. I couldn't do it anymore. So I knew this was kind of the last time. So when we met for the last time, I said, I said, Peter, we've been doing this for like four years. And it's been super fun. I mean, we've had, we have become great friends. very sympath- I mean, he never was like critical or he was genuinely interested. But I said, Peter, will there ever be an answer Will there, be, will there ever be an answer to a question that I would give you, that you would say, yes, I have all my questions answered, I'll, I'll follow Yeshua? Is there, is, there, is there any end to this set of questions? Because I feel like we could go on and on and on, and you will come up with another list of questions. And you know, it was, he just paused, and, and he said, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know that my questions will ever be f- satisfyingly addressed. And I said, that's right. Um, you don't follow Yeshua because your questions are answered. Uh, you don't follow Yeshua after you have, you have been able to figure it all out. Um, you'll never follow Yeshua. And, and so, in that moment, I, I felt like kind of a God moment, and I, I just said, uh, Peter, what's keeping you from, from, from following Yeshua? And you know, he had to come to terms with what he wanted. He had to, it was like Jesus was asking him, what do you want, Peter? Um, are you willing just to come and see? To, to not deny those questions, in fact, to, to actually continue to have them, but in, an, in another sense to sort of, in spite of this sort of uh, endless number of questions, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to come. I'm going to see. Well, I mean, this is like my only. This is like my my of the two sort of powerful comings to Christ that I've been a part of. This is like one of them. I tell you another time another one, but this was one of them because in that moment um, he had been prepared by friends and prayed for by lots of people in the check, and that relationship of four years paid off because he felt safe enough then, not because of me or any, because his heart had been warming. And he said, I know, I can't get all my answers, but I, can't, I can no longer deny that I want to follow. I want to become loyal to Yeshua. And he did. He did. He did. He became a, a very powerful Yeshua follower because he has a PhD from Charles University, which is the best university in Czech. He's brilliant, and now he follows Yeshua more passionately more de- more devotedly than somebody who didn't exhaust themselves like he did, but yet the question was the same. It just took me a little longer than Je- you know. Jesus is just better at it. You know, it's like, <laughs> what do you what do you want? You know, it took me four years to sort of finally ask him. Um, that's how it goes, right? Peter had to decide, am I going to come and see? Um, but that started with Mercer's witness. Um, but it wasn't a witness of of intellectual perspectives and arguments. it was a witness to person and person to presence that's that's for John, the essence of, G- of following jesus and it also leads us if I might wander and i don 't even know what time it is now, so i 'm just i 'm just talking how many, the, how long do I have okay um, it it reminds me that there's something that's very countercultural, almost offensive, about John's um, uh, understanding of what it what it what it takes to to be a follower of Jesus or how one becomes a follower of Jesus. And I say that because if you go over to John 17, um, John 17, I mean, this is just I just oh, this is awesome. I mean, I I love how John uh, sort of invites us to this because. Um, uh, oh, I'll just I'll just explain in a second. But um, this is the 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 well well known or at least well recognized. It's called like, usually called like something like the High Priestly Prayer. Um, this is a the chapter seventeen is a is Jesus's prayer uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just a side note. This is just extra. Um, John's Gospel does not uh, reflect the synoptics in giving us a story about Jesus' um, uh, anguish in the garden. It's not there. Uh, he doesn't sweat great drops of blood. He doesn't say to his disciples, will you not tarry with me one, one hour? You know? No critique of the, of the disciples for you know, the flesh is, the spirit is strong, the flesh is weak. None of that. The Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and John is not a victim, <laughs> He is doing exactly what he has been been sent to do and he has no no shadow in that. Now, you might think, well, are you saying that he has shadow in the synoptics? Yes, (laughs) read them. (laughs) He says, I don't want this cup, Father, but your will be done, not mine. Jesus in the, Yeshua, sorry, (laughs) Yeshua in the synoptics is one who is, is led to slaughter, is is a victim, innocently suffering righteous person, in the in the vein of of the of the psalm, um, the 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 uh, the righteous sufferer. John's gospel has a a Yeshua who's called for this moment and is sent for this purpose, and his giving himself is not something that's that's being taken from him, but he's He's giving himself. There, there's a great uh, passage in, in uh, John 10 where it talks about uh, Jesus is, is telling about his good shepherd. This good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. It's not taken from him. He lays it willingly. The, the Yeshua of the garden is a Yeshua praying for the glory of God and for the work of disciples after him. Um, just a little context. But then you come into this prayer and it's it's beautifully woven. I mean, um, I'm sure Jesus had a beautiful tongue. But what you discover about John's gospel is John weaves that tongue into a into a literary masterpiece in which, in a sense, you can't tell when Jesus stops talking and when others begin to talk or the narrator begins to talk. Now, I have a red letter. I mean... The, this is This is a theory that help that can be helpful, but it also will lead you astray in john because it will it will suggest to you something that the text itself doesn't allow so so clearly to dis- to to do, differentiate but in this text in in verse twenty eight after praying for the disciples his disciples about their their uh, their protection that they would experience the joy that Yeshua it will ex- experiences with the Father. Here's the key for us. My prayer, verse twenty, is not for them only. He's talking to the Father, not that for these twelve minus one. you remember Judas has already left the scene here? My prayer also is for those who believe. Now, how do they believe? Through their message. Through their message. Every other follower of Jesus, of Yeshua, that has, that has followed Yeshua since the apostles follow Yeshua because of the testimony of the apostles. John's understanding of how one comes to know, this big word called epistemology, how does one come to know Yeshua? His answer is, it's not a historical investigation. It's not using and applying methodology to get at the Jesus of history. In fact, if you use sort of the, the, the enlightenment models of, of knowledge, you will never come to know Yeshua because coming to know Yeshua is not your individual pursuit of a Knowledge of Yeshua apart from a mediated message. The 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 reason John think understands and prays for disciples who will come to Yeshua in the future is based on the testimony of the apostles. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's one of my sort of favorite um, modern theologians, he was he was writing in. Um, in the in the early uh twentieth century, of course he's most familiar as the sort of the someone who uh participated in a coup to uh uh murder hit Hitler. But uh he did a he did a set of lectures in at the University of Berlin on Christology, and he was a real he was a real radical compared to the to the methods of his of his teachers and and uh and colleagues. Uh his argument in his Christology lectures w- was and this was over and against everything that was going on at Berlin at the time, is he, he said, you will never know the historical Jesus if you've not met the resurrected Jesus. The only path to knowing the Jesus of history is to have come into the presence and knowledge of the Jesus, not of then, but of now. And I think that's exactly what, in a different way, is what, John is framing here for us. John is, is, is pushing us to, um, to swallow the pride of a modern person who says, I can know apart from the sources that have been given to us. And there's a whole industry in academics called the Historical Jesus Studies. And, and most of our neighbors, most of our friends, most of those will see pundits on on uh, religious discussions uh, on CNN or one other sort of, uh, you know, news outlet or 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 program that's not sort of a a, a Christian um, uh, network is Jesus has to be proven if I'm going to believe. And John sort of pushes right back on that and says that's not how you come to know Jesus. The only way you can know. Yeshua, is by relying on the witness of the apostles. Now, this sounds a lot like what Paul said in Ephesians where he talked about how uh, the, the ecclesia is, is on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with the chief cornerstone being Yeshua. So what John is essentially arguing, Paul put into, into proposition. John is not arguing it in... in um, in some propositional sense, this is a narrative, but but Paul captures that our access to the to the truth of Yeshua based on the witness of the Baptist is by the apostles. And and we have to be able to embrace that, that there is a, a level at which we will never be able to know. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, for ourselves, there is not a, enough certainty because, because we are uh, we are my, you know we're not infinite we're 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 uh, finite. Humanity in itself is 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 vulnerable. We c- we can know nothing for certain. Um, but when it comes to the faith arena, it's like uh, John's Yeshua pushes us even harder. He, he takes that little uh, insecurity and he's like, Ugh! let me put into that because he doesn't take us off the hook. He doesn't say, well, you can be certain if you X, Y, and Z. No, he makes it more faith because he says, you have to trust uh, something other than yourself. Okay, so where, where, where does this add up? Where are we? What is the witness that we're talking about? We're talking about The characters, particularly the first one we're looking at here is the Baptist, but his role is as a testifier, as as one who bears witness, not to ideas or to tradition, as important as those are in John. I could show you that that contrary to many interpreters of John who see John kind of uh, reinterpreting, in a sense, uh, undermining uh, the traditions of of Judaism, uh, arguing in a sense that that he, he has replaced those. That's how a lot of people understand the the festivals. Um, in that that context, what what Jesus is is John's Yeshua is is interested in is um, is not that at all. And and you don't see him doing that. What he's interested in is to say. That at the very bottom, witness leads to presence. And presence leads to the, to the connection with God that will give us an authentic, authentic loyalty to Yeshua. Um, come and see, not come and, and think. Um, and just, just sort of the last bit I want to sort of add here is that if you trace, then the witness of the immerser in, in the gospel. You'll see that it begins on the first page. And the last time John the Baptist is mentioned is in chapter 10, the very end of chapter 10. And what happens after that is a new witness is introduced that takes the center stage. John, leave, John the Baptist leaves the picture. He's gone after chapter 10. Takes the set steps into the darkness of the, of the stage and coming out then to to essentially take the place is this disciple who jesus loved the beloved disciple and from chapter 12 13 14 all the way to the the resurrection the witness becomes this figure who is never named but only referred to as the beloved and then the scenes he's in that are significant i'll just name three uh the lord's supper when uh, Jesus says, "One of you will betray me," um, and 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 Peter's sitting like over here, and the beloved disciple is laying against Yeshua, and um, and Peter's like, "What did he say? Wh- who's he talking about?" And the text presents the beloved disciple as the one whose his ear is at the breast of Jesus. His ear is at the at, at the at the at the breast of the Messiah. Because of the way they dined, the beloved disciple would be sort of reclining right at the, at the, uh, the heart of Yeshua. And, and, and that is kind of the, the, the picture that, that, uh, that, that John wants to paint initially about, about this beloved disciple. The next important scene, there are others, the next important scene is at the cross when, when Yeshua gives up his, his spirit, uh, the beloved disciple, the witness, says, I've seen this with my own eyes, and I bear that it's true. That, that what I'm describing happened because I saw it with my own eyes. And then the last one, which is on the last, essentially on the last page of the, of the Gospel of John. So you can see the, the sort of the bookends. Uh, Verses 24 and 25. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. So the front of the book begins with the witness of the Baptist. The end of the book concludes with the witness of the beloved disciple. The structure of the very gospel is on the two pillars of witness. One through ten. John the Baptist, 11 through 21, the beloved disciple. The first part of John's Gospel is about the public uh, presentation of Yeshua to Israel. Look it up in chapter 1. We didn't get a chance to mention it. The Baptist says, I have come to bear witness to Israel. And Yeshua does that publicly. In chapter 10, 11, 12, and 13, we begin uh, a... a to take a departure from public to private. And and now the witness is to those who are his inner circle of disciples. The beloved disciple, whomever that person is, is a paradigm of authentic discipleship. And his proximity to the person of Jesus gives him the authority to bear witness to what Jesus did and said, ultimately on the very ground of the cross. And then to say at the end, as a kind of a bookend, that this testimony is true. So you have the Gospel of John structured and setting on top of the two pillar witnesses, the Baptist and the one whom Jesus loved. One is public testimony to Israel. Of Yeshua remember what that means though it's not an argument it's an invitation and in the in the second half of the gospel it is a very intimate very front and center witness of the, the teaching final teaching of Yeshua the death of Yeshua the resurrection of Yeshua and the presentation of, a, of the story of Yeshua so I probably went over time, but just let me kind of put then a point on it. Um, We know nothing of Yeshua that hasn't been given to us. We have no access to Yeshua apart from what has been given. It is a gift. It is a gift that is received. It's not one that we have to figure out. And that is the the scandal of it. But (laughs) for those who are seeking, and are seeking in the right direction. Yeshua doesn't invite us to doctrine. He invites us to the truth, which is not an idea in John. It is a person. I am the way, the truth. For John, truth is not idea. It's not ideology. It's not statements of faith. All those being fine and good, that is not the center of discipleship. And therefore, we need to think about what we seek and on what basis do we walk behind Yeshua. Um, and if it, doesn't, if it doesn't line up with that experiential invitation, if this is all head and no heart, if it's all seeking and no willingness to find, um, then although you might feel you're close to God, you might feel you're a follower of Yeshua, but you have no idea who He is. Because you can't think your way to him, you have to receive him for who he is and what he is. As we go forward, we're going to see a story. Um, I think tomorrow night of a character who tried very hard to frame Yeshua in his own worldview, and he and he failed miserably. And it will be another example of what we're saying. And on the and and there'll be another story of of an of a disciple who had who had. No ability to to, to see uh, had no access to the being able to sort of systemize systematize and and he's given sight um, he's given sight so uh thanks I would like to say a word a prayer um, after this first night I, and i and I hope that um, indeed um, as you are good that I've shared what I know <laughs> and I, I just have to trust in faith that uh, Spirit of God, would you use what I have shared from a very uh, a place of, 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 of uh, emptiness, of, of weakness, of uh, lack. Uh, I pray that, that uh, through my sharing what I know, we all feel the invitation the conviction of question, but the invitation of presence. And may that lead us into this weekend of further uh, presence as we unpack elements of this uh, beautiful gospel, which tells a, a beautiful story about a beautiful Redeemer. In Yeshua's name, amen.